0: For GateWorld.net, I'm David Reed, and I'm here at Stage 3 Media with director Martin Wood, who is currently... Um, and Amanda Tapping. And Amanda Tapping, yeah. the lovely Amanda Tapping, um, currently over here working on your new project, Sanctuary. Uh-huh. Everyone's buzzing about it. Um, I hope so. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. W- where are you guys at now? Sci-Fi has just approved you for the series. and
1: Sci-Fi has approved for the series. They've approved some of our scripts, some of them, not all of them. Uh, we're... Uh, they're being really good about uh, <clears throat> about sort of moving this, the uh, stories ahead. We're trying to shove them ahead, and they're slowly moving them ahead so that uh, um, it fits with the model that they want to that they want to mm-hmm. put on their uh, on their uh, network, which is fine with us because the show is looking. It's a whole different show than what you saw on the net. anybody that's watched on the net uh, will be stunned by what they see. Um, they, they'll recognize. There, there's some vowels that we used in the initial one, but there's not, uh, you know, there's not whole sentences that we used. And um, The characters are a lot more full, the, the, the storylines are a lot more uh, rounded. There's, uh, what they saw on the net was an experiment for us, an experiment in how we could do this uh, virtually and how
0: we could do it, how fast we could do it, too, was one of the things, believe it or not. And we did it really fast. So sanctuary was the, the online version was basically a stress test to see if this could be done or not on a television budget it, or less on, on much less than a
1: television budget yeah. and then um, uh, I mean it was it was it was testing a market that that is going to be the marketplace soon mm-hmm. and we were uh, we were trying something to see what the market would uh, how the market would accept it The market was very accepting of it by the way there's been over three million hits. On uh, on the uh, the show, well, well more than that, but um, everybody's idea is still that the net is free, and yeah. it's 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 difficult to get past that right now. Everyone is experimenting with different um, ways to market things on the net. So we did our experiment with it and learned an amazing amount from it. Now we're going to do a TV show and then we'll go back into see what the net uh, how the net reacts once you've sort of done that thing. That uh, let me let me say it this way. When you when you do what we did, um, you are essentially that uh, that shot that James Cameron did in the Titanic. You jump back, and there's this little tiny Titanic in the middle of the ocean, in the black ocean, and there's a little flare, that goes up like that. Yeah. That's essentially what we did. We went on with no advertising. We went on. It was totally viral. We went to see how far we could go with that, and uh, um, it was an experiment in doing that. Okay. Once we've had the exposure on television, let's see what
0: happens. How has Sanctuary influenced your work on Stargate this year? In all honesty, other way. How has Stargate? How has Stargate, <laughs> yes. How has Stargate influenced your work on Sanctuary? Well, Star- I, I grew up on Stargate. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I spent the last twelve years there and learned, you know, if not everything, then, then most of the things I know uh, in terms of of uh, uh, the choices that I make as a director how I direct. I mean, directing I learned to do on Stargate. Even though I've done a lot of other series and things like that, they've been, they've been offshoots of what I've done from Stargate. The majority of my time has been spent every year, you know, for eight months doing Stargate and Stargate Atlantis. And those two, those two shows allowed me, because I was there for so long, allowed me to sort of uh, do things that I would not normally get to do on a series, that I didn't normally get to do on a series as, as a, you know, as a, as a visiting director because you can't push the limits the way that I did on on Stargate. And we all grew up together on Stargate. The, the, the crew, um, uh, the executive, all, all of the, uh, the ones that are referred to as the powers that be, we all grew up together on that. Um, you know, everybody cut their teeth on those two shows, making it, even though people came in with other experiences, that, that's where everybody got to, to, to experiment and play. Everything I learned there, I turned into being able to do Sanctuary. You know and uh, um, a virtual show like this hasn't been done before so what we're trying to do is take all the things we learned from all the shows that I did that were you know that, that incorporated virtual sets and things like that and put them into uh, into a, a show that's entirely that way mm,
0: okay will you be directing fewer episodes on Stargate this year in order to, to just have some I'm, more time over here
1: the, the hope is that I'll be able to finish the season with uh, with Atlantis um, and maybe even do another movie but, uh, uh, I mean, the, the fact is that, that we have to wait and see um, how our schedules mesh. Been, Atlantis has been great. They've actually come to me and said, would you like to do some episodes? And I've said, of course I do. I, I can't imagine a year of my life without uh, without at least a few of them. You know, okay. it's, uh, it, it's a very important, incredibly important uh,
0: um, thing to me to keep Atlantis alive and, and start get alive in my life. What about season six? Do you, are, you, are you just... Looking, are we just like working on season five right now, or are you going to finish season five and then come completely into Sanctuary? What's what's what do you forward Well, I, or,
1: because you... Sanctuary is a short pickup,
0: yeah, um, I we
1: should be able to be finished before Atlantis finishes, uh, oh, their, that's their what schedule. That's what I'm hoping. Oh. And the other thing is because I'm, I'm sort of running Sanctuary, I can always sort of schedule myself into, um, okay. you know, some time to be able to go into Atlantis still because uh, truthfully. Uh, uh, like I said, to, to to when when this year started, when they started shooting, Andy McKee was shooting the first episode of Atlantis this year. It's the first time in 12 years I haven't been there at the very beginning of the year, and it felt really weird. And I went in and told the guys, I said, "This feels really weird, you know, not being here when it starts." And uh, they have been amazing. I mean, the, the uh, 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 Paul and Joe and Brad and Robert and. Everybody over there, you know, uh, that the producers have been incredible to me and to Amanda about, you know, sort of understanding where we're at and what we're doing here and what we're trying
0: to do. And they've been very supportive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Continuum. Target Continuum is coming to yep. DVD this July. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't want to blow anything. They'll blow huge spoilers. Um, uh, how, how early did you know you would uh, be directing this particular, this project? How early on were you brought <coughs> in? Before
1: Atlantis was made... Um, Brad and Robert came to me and started talking to me about the Stargate feature. And essentially when... uh, I really wish that Brad would actually release the script that they sort of put together for it because I read the script that uh, was going together for the Stargate feature and I thought, this is incredible. Um, uh, But what it morphed into was it essentially morphed into uh, Lost City and Rising. Those those two, those four shows were, were essentially... Um, the movie that they were that they were pitching to me, and that was what uh, I was going to do that uh, if it came about, and then uh, Atlantis came up, and, and uh, they asked me if I would do the uh, the opening two parter for that for uh, Do Rising, and so that that was the biggest project I'd done to that point, point. Um, and then when it came time for the movies, and Robert said he was going to do one, and Brad asked me if I would do the other one, I said great, what's it about? And he sat down that day and essentially said here's what the movie is and spun the whole thing out. Now, if you don't want me to give away a a huge amount of spoilers and things like that, what I can do is I can do this. And just sit here for five minutes and go, this is essentially what Brad saw for an hour and a half in his office. Now, the problem is going there is you can't actually get your eyes any bigger than that, but they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and my dropping down and down and down. i thought i actually said to him at one point i said you're just pulling my leg aren't you You yeah this is crazy you can't do all of that in one movie and he goes i'm doing it Mm -hmm. and then he started writing it and he started showing me in acts what he was doing and uh it was so amazing to be able to sort of see all the big stuff that you really like doing and all that the the sort of big cool stuff that you do um squished into a movie okay and it was it was interesting and and I get when I read scripts, I start looking at them visually right away. I, start, I, I open a page and start seeing sort of how I'm going to shoot the scene yeah. as I'm as I'm reading it. And uh, um, in this one, it was one of those things where I'm, I'm doing the same thing I was doing in Brad's office, except alone in my office, going, holy cow, holy cow, I gotta I gotta direct this now. Mm-hmm. You know, so. you have to make it your own. You know what? I, I gotta tell you something. I never did make it my own. Really? Yeah. This was a very uh, a very collaborative effort between Brad Wright and, and, and me. And I've said it a couple times. I said it to Brad the other day on the, uh, the DVD commentary that I didn't direct this thing on my own. This was a, this was a tag team directing um, thing where uh, Brad didn't actually call... He, he's really good to work with. It, it, anybody that wants to be a director, if you dream about it and things like that and you're trying to put it out into the universe, try and put out there that you want a, a producer like Brad Wright sitting behind you uh, because he's so inobtrusive when it comes to things, he would—he almost never says, mm, "Maybe you should try this, or you should do that." Or um, all he ever does is he goes. The best thing about having him there is that what I would normally do is in a television uh, show is that I shoot, trying to second guess what he's going to want. And with uh, him there, I'm not doing that. Yeah. You know, I interpret the script one way. All directors do. And there's times when you get to a point where you go, "I don't think the way I'm going with this is the way that he wants it to go," you know, or whoever's producing it wants it to go. And so you ended up covering it a little bit differently so you can give them an option of doing it in an edit suite. In this case, because we were under such an amazing constraint of time, it was 19 days, it was less than we shot Rising in, um, uh, there was no time to slow down. There was no time for extra shots. There was no time for anything that wasn't going to actually make it into the movie. And uh, and Brad was there, and and there was one time we we did a single shot all the way around, and I designed the shot to, to work as a single shot. Half the time when I do that, I go, okay, now I have to give them an option if it doesn't work. In this case, we did it as a single shot, and Brad goes, No, don't don't touch it. Go. Go on. Ah. Move on. So it was great to have him there. And from the very beginning, when I was designing shots and things like that, I would sit with him. At the very end of it, we sat down, and, and this is going to seem like some kind of weird heresy to some directors, but <clears throat> Brad and I sat, sat together in the edit suite and did the director's cut. So we did a cut together. And that doesn't normally happen, But but for me, I'm so comfortable with the way that... He cuts, and he's comfortable enough with the way that I can I can put something together. That the two of us together with Brad Ryan sat down, and, and over the course of a week, we're able to to you know
0: do a, a director's cut of, of the movie. Is that what's going to be on DVD?
1: <clears throat> you may see, you, you'll see some of the scenes that were cut down, and they were cut down for a very simple reason to try and keep it to a certain time. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but you will see it, when we finished it. Brad actually looked at me and said, essentially, that's our movie. Which is interesting because you, you finish up a TV show as a director's cut and you hand it over and you go, Man, that's not what's going to be on TV <laughs> because oh, really? it's 11 minutes longer than it's supposed yeah, to be. You have to pull it's it down. seven minutes longer than it's supposed to be. And, and uh, in this case, it was, That's essentially our movie. And that's essentially what made it to to uh, uh, the screen or will make it to the screen by July. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: The entire thing was done in 19 days. You Nineteen shot, days. Is that including the Arctic shoot? No, <laughs> the Arctic was, uh, We were up there for seven, we shot for five. Ah, okay. So like one before, or one after.
1: Uh, we shot. Uh, yeah, it was traveling time uh,
0: okay.
1: in that thing. So it was. It was essentially getting up there. We landed in the Arctic. <clears throat> we offloaded the plane. Peter West and I looked at the sun and went, "Let's start shooting." So wow. It was. It was essentially that. It was minus fifty six that day. So <laughs> we shot at minus fifty six degrees. And uh, Amanda Tapping and Ben Browder put their costumes on, walked out there, and started walking. And it was like, it's minus 56. And I got two big stars standing out in the middle of the Arctic Ocean. And I got a little crew of seven people around me. And uh, in a couple of days, Richard Dean Anderson was going to be there with John Smith and his wife. And they were going to be up there. And I, uh, this is the coolest thing I have ever done. We
0: were doing a movie. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, uh, for the thousandth time, I know I know you're probably sick of telling, but tell us about that entire experience. It was. It was the time of our lives. Really. Like and uh, freezing time of your life. You
1: know what? I didn't mind. I I like cold. I don't mind it at all. Look, I wear shorts year round in Canada. Okay, <laughs> I have my whole life. Um, uh, the the experience was one where we were prepped for it. I I was prepped for it longer than anybody else was because I had been talking to Barry Campbell who put this thing together. Uh, Barry came up to John Smith, Andy McKee, and I when we were sitting at a GateCon convention. Um, in, uh, in Vancouver. He came up and uh, said, can you sign this for me, please? And then put a picture down in front of John and said, do you guys want to come to the North Pole? And I went, yes. And he says, sure. And John goes, of course. And he goes, okay, let's talk. And he put this picture down of him at the North Pole with a submarine behind him. And, uh, yeah. and we, <laughs> we went two years later. Um, but uh, we'd been talking a lot along the way, and I understood there were polar bears. I understood there was cold I had to direct a movie when he was up there. So those things were logistics that were things we had to get past, but not things that I had to concern myself with too terribly much. There was always a person facing this way and always a person facing that way with rifles in case polar bears came. And there was always a helicopter to chase them away because they don't want to shoot the polar bears. They want to scare them off. Um, now, there were a couple of people up there that just kept spinning around in circles looking for polar bears themselves, but,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> but I couldn't be one of those people. And, you know, there's things like you have to, while you're talking to each other, you're, you're in a balaclava up to here, you have goggles on, your nose is exposed. And there's times when you have to pull all that stuff off and start talking to each other. But um, uh, you're always looking at each other to see is there's is there frostbite and things like this. And I remember a couple times I'd look at Peter West and I'd go, Peter, cover that up. Yeah. And uh, somebody would look at me and say, you, you pull your goggles down a little bit because, you know, you're getting a little bit white in the in here. Yeah. You can't be out in that kind of temperature. And we were out for 10 hours, you know. Nonstop. And nobody complained. Not wow. one person up there complained. There were huge smiles on everybody's face, although you couldn't tell. You could just see the little Bella Clava move <laughs> like this. But it was uh, it was amazing. And honestly, I, I cannot imagine another uh, television star that would stand out there like those guys did and for 10 hours. Well, when and did they, get were, they weren't dressed like, like that, we were. Though? They were dressed Oh wow. crappy. Yeah. Like we did everything we could. Christina McQuarrie took everything she could and packed it underneath those suits. But they still had to have... You know, Edmondson kind of uh, South Pole uh, foul weather
0: gear on. Mm-hmm. Well, when are you going to be able to get to do something like that again? That is almost... I hope next year. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope so. I keep pushing, Brad. Can, you know, we could actually go up there.
1: We could shoot in the camp. It would be great. Doesn't have to be the North Pole. Make it the South Pole this time. Doesn't matter. Just, <laughs> I want to go up. You know, Amanda, Ben, there like, Let's go. Come on. Yeah. Not one of us wanted to leave. Oh, wow. And as warm as it got, it got uh, the warmest it got was minus 19. And it's like, we were chucking our clothes off, walking around in sweaters. Yeah. Hey, it's minus 19 today. Yeah. Well, if you've experienced minus 60, you know. They, maybe... they said the coldest it got was in the windchill, minus 80. While you were there? That was the day we couldn't shoot.
0: Oh, we so weather
1: halted production. It did on one day. We woke up one morning, and I looked outside, and I thought, this is not going to be good. We're in little 8x8x20 eight by eight by foot plywood hooches, they're called. And it's just plywood, 8x8x20. Eight by eight by and there was... Me, Ben Browder, Richard Dean Anderson, uh, the captain of the uh, of the um, uh, the base, and uh, another guy called George, who was a government worker who was not allowed to tell us what he did. Yeah. Um, and we spent the entire time in the hooch trying to find out what George did. You <laughs> 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 can't have Richard Dean Anderson and Ben Browder and thing without you know. It, it, we laughed all night long. Uh, but uh, inside, it's it's you know it's it's Plus 75, and outside, as soon as you open the door, it drops the temperature down to, you know, minus 50. I looked outside the little window that we have, the polar bear window. Uh, I look outside, and I thought, we're not getting up in this. Because we have a helicopter, we have snowmobiles. We can take either one of them to get to where we need to be. Um, Which doesn't really make a lot of sense, because, I mean, you're on an ocean that's frozen. It's all the same. It's like, Mm hmm, "Hmm, should we shoot over here, or should we shoot over there? (laughs) Uh, Let's see, Peter? Well, it depends on which direction you're facing because that's the way the, the sun is. So it's like, right. let's shoot this way. Okay, we'll just turn them that way. You know, it's, just, it's, exactly. it's all the same. But uh, we did have to find places where I, I was constantly scouting for places that were slightly out of the wind so that we could work for longer because if the wind's up, you, you can't work as so long. Mm-hmm. But uh, what was funny to me is that, that uh, this one day I, I look outside and I see that the, the helicopter is completely battened down. And I thought, okay. So I go out and and, uh, Evil Kenny, the the process master, who was my assistant up there, uh, assistant director up there, uh, we jump in a snowmobile. We get about 40 feet. Like, man, this is cold today. Yeah. We're like, our hood's down to here. So we huddle together and we take off in a snowmobile and we go flying around, like come back and look at the temperature. It's minus 59. Okay, that's pretty cold. I think we better wait till it warms up to about minus 50 and we'll try it then. And that's what we were talking
0: about when we were up there. And so, did you know the day that you were scheduled to get out of there?
1: Yeah, we actually extended it. We, ex- oh, we got out. So you were able to, to do that.
0: Yes. Okay. I, I was gonna say, you know, did you ever have any fear? What if we don't all get all the shots that we want? What if it's just so insanely yeah, cold?
1: We almost didn't. And the, the, oddly enough, the reason we were up there was to see. A, this is a spoiler. The submarine. To see a submarine come up, now, the USS uh, Alexandria. Number 688, the uh, the Los Angeles-class nuclear submarine broke through the ice for us. Three times. Oh, then,
0: did you move the, sub, move uh, the no, camera, no, no,
1: it's not that easy. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it's day one, shooting this way. Where is it? Where is it? It's way down there. Oh, here. The other day, we didn't get it. Second day, all right, get the camera set up, get the camera set up, get the camera. <sighs> well, it's not an exact science, is it? Um. No. They have a Commodore on there and an Admiral. They have to get him off the boat. Okay, well, it's up. <laughs> so, um, and then the last day was, and they kept telling us this, and it's so funny. I mean, there's so many things that there are great stories about being in the Arctic, like um, uh, you're on four feet of ice and below you is 12,000 feet of water, and you forget it's an ocean until it starts to move. <laughs> and, of course, it's moving constantly. We yeah. moved 78 kilometers when I was, uh, when my GPS, I marked it when we landed, and you can actually see the little circle that we made around the top of the world. Um, <laughs> But uh, they're trying to position a 375-foot, 7,000-ton submarine underneath ice. And all they have is a little periscope camera looking up at a, at, a, at a circle and an X and an arrow that we've marked in it. Okay, and And they're trying to find it in this. They're in a valley, which essentially looks like a valley to them because there's these huge ice sails that come down like this. So they're looking up from 150 feet at what looks like this X on top, and now they have to start, they have to match their speed to the ice, which is moving, mm-hmm. and submarines don't hover. They move forward, mm-hmm. they sink, they go up, they go down, they sometimes go backwards, but it's uh, they don't hover. So you get into this trench, into this trough, and then you have to start coming up, and you don't have much control. At 30 feet a minute, that you're coming up It's not like you have a huge amount of control forward. And what you don't want to be doing is you don't want to, as you crack through the ice, be moving forward. You know, because you'll tear your boat to smithereens. So they have to actually be coming up at the same speed that it's coming up and then just come crashing through. And uh, the day that they came up and hit, uh, nobody had ever hit the X before. I had a camera set up and I'm used to, you know, there's the mark, put a piece of tape on it, somebody comes, bang, they land on that mark. Okay, I'm looking between. Two actors, between Richard Dean Anderson and Ben Browner, the camera is set right there. And we're looking between them. And I have Peter West, handheld camera, ready to move. Uh-huh. He's 6'5, so if yeah. it if it comes he's got two steps and he's way over here. He's ready to see it coming up. We're all ready. Exactly at the time it was supposed to come up, they said we're coming up. They use the code word for it, we're coming up and we go, All right, everybody, tense up. There's a whole bunch of us out in the ice and we're standing like this. And he goes, he goes, we're boarding, we're not going to hit it, and they go back down. Okay, all right, so let's line it up again. This is a 375-foot machine traveling underneath ice sails that has to go and turn around, okay, and come back and find it again, and then match the speed again. Well, how long does that usually take? It'll be a minimum of 45 minutes. Okay, this is a film crew who's been up for three and a half hours already standing on the ice. And now we have to wait at least forty-five minutes, but there's no place to wait. You can't just sit down. So we all talked about how nice it was to be in the Arctic, and then we uh, then we did it again. And it comes up and it's like there's the, the code word for it coming. I can't tell you the code word because it's classified. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, we uh, we hear it, and they start coming up, and we're all ready again. Everybody's ready, and they say to us, yeah, "You know that that you really have to. You have to." Um, feel with your feet if it feels like the submarine's coming up underneath you, run <laughs> we're going, oh yeah they can't tell we're up here, they don't know where we are they only have this little axe that they're looking at so if they drift off to literally if they drift 20 feet to one side they are coming up underneath all of us, crashing through the ice and so we're all waiting and you're just you're poised to run, there was one direction we could run, which was that way you know. and we're all going, okay, we're ready for it and they aborted again So we did the same thing. So five and a half hours we've been out on the ice and finally they come around and they start coming up and crash right in the middle of the X. And the behind the scenes that you see will not show you the internal reaction I had inside this hood that I've got on. I'm I'm actually supposed to be acting at that point because we were all our own extras, but I have (laughs) have, uh, Evil Kenny standing there at one point uh, pointing for me. And uh, and, uh, this thing comes up and my reaction is, don't yell, because everybody's acting still, yeah. do I want to hear this submarine come up. And I was so happy. And I grabbed my face, and I realized that the whole outside of my head is all ice now. And I go, smash! And all this ice comes off of my
0: face. <laughs> it's like,
1: wow, we've been out here for a long time. But we man, got it. We got the shot that we needed exactly
0: the way we wanted it. Man. It was very cool. What an experience. <sighs> Jeez. So the, the only unexpected problems you had, you had to stay a couple of days longer? That was the best part. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say that's just so terrible. That was the best part. Yeah. <laughs> were there any uh, shots that you weren't thinking you were going to get that you were able to achieve in, in the Arctic, or just yeah. for the whole movie and the whole movie? Um, when you make up a list
1: as a as a TV series director, I do a shot list. Some of you may have seen them in like the 200th book and this. These I, I they're not. I, I I I am very irreverent in them because generally I'm the only one that looks at them or the people that sort of I hand them to. At them. Uh, anybody that's ever read my shot lists know that they're very irreverent, and they're, you know, there's, they're 20 pages long and things like this, but it lists off every shot I want to do for the show. Um, uh, if you knew how many shots didn't make it into some of your favorite shows, some of your favorite episodes... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I save all those. I have all my my uh, my old shot lists and old scripts, and and the scripts themselves actually have little diagrams on them of how I'm going to shoot a scene and things like that. And for people who are, are real fans of the show, if you ever saw those things, you'd go, "Wow, if you did this shot, it would have been amazing." Well, yeah. that's what it's all about in television. It's it's compromising your shots. It's compromising what you can do because of time, because of you know it starts to rain, because of all that sort of kind of stuff. There's no slop over. There's no let's take a couple more days to do it. Um, With the movie, even though we were moving at an amazingly rapid pace, because Brad was there, I was able to get the shots I really wanted to. There was one shot. uh, The the hardest shot, the the shot we spent the longest waiting for, other than, than the submarine shots in the north, was one that is a duplication shot that we had to do. And it was just because one piece of equipment didn't work. And so we sat around for like three hours. And three hours on the schedule we were on is four shots know so there's those kind of compromises that you make, but and there are shots that you have in your head mm-hmm. that that after the number of years that I've been directing Stargate I know what I can and can't get, and so it, it's become much more precise science for me, but still when you when you go into something, you dream shots that just you're never going to get because you don't have the time, the equipment isn't working the way you want it to, or you have to just give it up because you've got a you've got you know a, a producer with a hammer standing on top of your head, yeah, so, keeping you realistic, yeah. Yeah. Right. You are now four and a half hours overtime. Do you know how much that costs? Yeah. Yes, I do. Well, I'm sending the crane home. Yeah. There uh, goes that great shot.
0: Crap. Does yeah. that happen a lot?
1: In television, it happens more um, because uh, you are in a very fixed budget, yeah. and there's not a lot of wiggle room. But you know what? As I said, with the experience that I've had on Stargate and the... the the, I know how fast the crew moves. I know how fast the actors can move. I know what we can get. And unless there's something really unexpected that comes up, I can pretty much get my shot less than a day.
0: Wow, that's impressive. So, so have you seen the completed film? Is it all done? No,
1: have I. I just, I, I sat in what's called a layback when we put the music on, and uh, Joel Goldsmith went crazy. He's
0: insane. I yeah.
1: Know. I actually called him and, and, and left a message saying, uh, with, with his assistant saying, "Tell Joel I love him." <laughs> Joel calls me back and leaves a message for me. I love you too, man. <laughs> 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 um, but he's amazing. And, and uh, uh, Brad went down. I, I couldn't go down unfortunately because I had to be in England for Sanctuary. But uh, Brad went down and uh, into Seattle and sat with the orchestra and sat with Joel and and went through the music. And it was it was. Remarkable. I, this is this is what happened. We went into the layback and we sat there. Brad was over on this side. He'd seen it already. He'd heard the music already. I hadn't. Oh. So I'm sitting there looking at it in this beautiful high definition monitor, and I had only ever seen low res versions of the movie because mm-hmm. you know we're, we're editing it on lower res. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sitting there and, and I'm watching it, and this is my expression, <sighs> <sighs> and I keep hitting Brad. I keep hitting him in the arm.
0: <laughs> Can you believe that?
1: man and i get teary-eyed and i get oh man i can't believe that's amazing that's incredible so and i mean hearing it and this is a good thing about it coming out on dvd first instead of tv you can put it into a good system you can turn it up loud and you can hear it the way it's supposed to be heard and i love that because normally with a tv show you know that people are going to miss about a third of what there is um orally you know you're not you're just not going to hear the sound that's actually there so, What do you
0: think about the story compared to some of the other stuff that you've done
1: for Stargate? The story is kind of a cool romp. And I think that there's... The, uh, the easiest way for me to tell you this is, is to, to describe... The, the scenes that I usually like in a, in a show are the ones that just propel us into something. I just grab you in the back or you know, you're standing there and they just go poof and hit you in the back. Those are the scenes I usually like. Um, I've done, you know, uh, like 70 shows where I read the script first and almost every time there's a scene in it that surprises me. Mm-hmm. I read it and I go through it and, I, and that's, it's a scene I just read and I, it's exposition, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I flip through it. And then when we get there on the day, the actors really surprise me because they just bring something to it that wasn't there when I, when I read it. And that becomes my favorite scene, and they're often just short exposition scenes, and they're not the sort of hit you in the back kind of things. They're just ones where suddenly everybody's magic sort of comes together in it.
0: They've brought it to life. Yeah,
1: and and uh, in Continuum, there are two scenes which I knew were going to be good, but when I actually read them, I sort of flipped past them. You know, it was I know this explanation. I know how we're going to get there. And uh, you sort of flip past them and you get to the other end of it and then there's like another hit in the back kind of scene. It's like, oh, great, they get to this. Um, one of them is a scene in a hangar with uh, uh, Michael, uh, Amanda, Ben, and Bo. You'll see it when you get to it. You'll know which one it is. And uh, it was one of those scenes where I'm sort of whipping through the pages and I'm thinking, when's the next explosion you're going to happen? <laughs> so, uh, but um, I'm, I'm reading it and thinking... Uh, this is going to be this good, so I, uh, uh, this is going to be good, so I'm going to do this, but then I'm going to cover it like this. And as I watched the scene rehearsed, I looked at Brad and said, I need another camera. He goes, why? I said, I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss what's going on. I'm going to order up another camera right now. We brought another camera in that day, and I shot more film on that scene than I did for you know half the movie uh, because I really wanted to cover it in a, in a certain way. I wanted to cover it so that in the edit suite, we would be able to put together the scene I would seen rehearsed. And it was it was magic. All four of our characters sat there. And I mean even now, you guys can attest to this, you see these goosebumps. <laughs> I'm thinking about that, the way that the scene came off. And it's an integral scene to what's going on in the, in the movie. And it's not a page past kind of scene. It is the, the brilliance of what Brad Wright can do when he you know when he has a little bit of time to write these things not that he's not burning at all the time, but when there's the time, you know, months to be able to write something like this, um, he puts so much into that scene and you sit there watching you. That's, that, that's a really dense scene. And then there's a montage that happens just before that, which was really, it, it was Brad Wright's idea to do what he does, which is the, the sort of floating motion. So we've got all three characters on the screen at the same time, all of them talking at the same time. They're all giving a primer on what, to Stargate and what Stargate, uh, what, what the SGC is all about. To anybody that doesn't know that, but they're all talking at the same time. And it's just if you listen to each individual one, you want to go back and play them again and again and again because you want to hear what each of them is saying. And Brad Rines, when he put it together in the edit suite, was uh, he walked in and what you see there is virtually what Brad and I saw he had done in his editor's copy. You know, it was like, whoa, that's another really powerful uh-huh. scene. So, what, for me, what, what it is is the smaller. Um uh, uh, exposition
0: scenes sometimes have that hit in the back
1: mm-hmm. after I see it done, you know So it's mm-hmm. kind of cool.
0: You know the, uh, you, you're, you' you say that script isn't good unless there's like an explosion every 10, 10 seconds or so, like especially in the bigger the bigger like opening yeah. episodes and ending episodes, but it really is the, the character moments between the shows. It is I mean this and, is an action
1: adventure. An, an action yeah. adventure is, is uh, action and adventure. But, you know what, truthfully, having done like a million shots where things are blowing up, uh, they're cool, mm-hmm. and they're what you look forward to in your day, but honestly, you know, I've done some some Atlantises in the last little while, where mm-hmm. it's just people stuck talking, and they're so much fun to do, because it's just, it's a it's a part of drama that, that you get to play
0: out, and
1: mm-hmm. harder to shoot, because there's not a lot of angles, so you have to really think about how to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. You've been doing the show for so long now. Um, which episodes do you feel most, which of your episodes do you feel most withstand the test of time? Which are Ooh, you man. most proud of?
1: You know, I get asked this a lot when when people sort of look at the the, the volume of, of mm-hmm. work and it's a, it's a very hard question for me to answer. I'd rather sort of say, in this category, this is the ones that I like. In this category, these are the ones that I like. In this category these are the ones that I like. because truthfully, I mean, the evolution that's happened with me, in my directing mm. skill um, has, has uh, skill in quotation marks, uh, <laughs> uh, in, in the evolution that's happened to me as a director has really made uh, a difference in how I like the shows. Because I look at some of the old shows and I go, I, I like can't away with believe that. I did that. <laughs> but, you know what? One of my favorite shows is still Solitudes. Yeah. You know? Solitudes, Small Victories. Um, yeah. uh, you know, these are... These are Shows that I just I can watch over and over again and, and look past the directing and think oh, those are my favorite shows. You know, um, uh, things like Grace Under Pressure uh, was another one of my favorites. You know, where it was just David and just and Amanda was and, brilliant. and, and Amanda, it's just and those the, the ones that I actually have to take my brain and go like you know pull it out yeah. and do this with when I'm actually thinking about not just how to make it through the day and how to tell the story the best, but but what can I add to this story to make it sort of, uh, move it forward in a way that becomes, you know, that that becomes a a more round full story. But I mean, there's the lost cities, there's, and I I, I love doing those kind of things. Rising was a a favorite of mine. Um, uh, The storm, uh, the eye, you know, when you, those are Atlantis, and then you go back into, you know, some of the, the, uh, the, the Stargates where, you start start thinking about okay, um, you know the siege. Uh, sorry, that's that's Atlanta. So, but <laughs> to, I actually just thought siege was a really uh, siege one, two, and three. I really yeah. liked that. Um, But uh, go back in the stargates and start thinking about into the fire, you know, and uh, and things like that where where they were supposed to be this big. Into the fire was not supposed to be a huge show, and it suddenly became this this massive thing, and and. Uh, um, there's a lot of, of them that I really like, so it's hard unless we sort of mm-hmm. are saying what's your favorite Richard Dean Anderson show or what's your favorite mm-hmm. you know Tolk's episode. I loved Avatar. I had such a good time with Avatar, you know. So I can I can tell you when you talk about it on those categories, those are my favorites. But it's hard to say sort of mm-hmm. overall favorite for anything.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think uh, are going to be some of your favorite Sanctuary episodes? Now these these mm-hmm. are on, on. I mean, they're all you, right? Sanctuary is a is a is a
1: different animal because it's, it started, um, you know, cause the germ for it started down here and we've sort of built it up together. Amanda and Damien and I, and, and Sam Egan now is, is a part of that too. And so there's, there's sort of four of us that will sit in here and start, you know, battling it out about what the, what the world is going to be. And, and that's the, the coolest part about creating something is that, that you're actually talking about what the world is, what the rules are. You know, mm-hmm. I just sat in here one day and said, no magic. Yeah. We don't have any magic. Yeah. And everybody sort of fought that and, and, you know, came around to the point where it's, you know, you have to have rules like that.
0: Yeah,
1: You know, it's like, you know, when you start looking at, at some of the things that I know, you know, Brad and Robert would, and, and Paul and Joe would love to not be part of the mythology of Stargate. And you learn, you know. No, don't ever shoot anybody three times with a Nicotel, Okay, yeah. that's got to go out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the the you know um, just just you know beaming technology, which is mm-hmm. sort of changes the way that you actually, the way that your whole. Mythology has to move, you know. As soon as you mm-hmm. inject something like that in, now you got to write around it, you know. And, and mm-hmm. um, the micro,
0: the, the chips that oh, yes. de- they always have to deactivate the chips, or yeah. you have to pull your chip out so that they can't find you and beam you out.
1: You know, it's just there's so many weird things that that you learn, and, and in a series like that that you watch happening around you, and you are go oh, this isn't a good idea. um, (laughs) Later on, somebody would come and say, that just wasn't a good idea. Or then there's the other part. I mean, I shouldn't say it like that because there's a million good ideas that come up for that. So what we're doing in here right now is trying to to forecast and see if we do this, then what happens there? And you you Mm -hmm. make characters from scratch, you know, and you suddenly, there's a character there that you know is going to live with you for the next five years, and you're going, or 10 years, (laughs) <laughs> um you know you're you're sitting there hoping that 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 what the powers that you imbue in that that character right now are going to be the powers that you know keep that person uh you know alive and and not mm-hmm. make you write yourself into a corner sometimes of it so it's fascinating i love it i i just i love doing it um there's a whole bunch of other junk that happens right now with with uh, you know we, we don't have a studio we are our own studio and that's a don't ever do that, <laughs> you know. Really, I'm telling people that now. It's just—it is so much grief trying to make this thing happen. That has nothing to do with creating a television show.
0: Yeah.
1: It just has to do with, you know, the the business of TV. And it's just uh-huh. for somebody that, that sort of tends to tends to like a paintbrush and, a, and an easel. It's not fun. But it's necessary, and I'm, I'm glad I'm doing it. And I, I, I'm not glad right now. I will be glad. The fun volunteers. will outweigh it That's once right. the
0: foundation That's is. Right. Then we can get to work. Yeah. Man. how have you grown as a producer now, coming over here? More responsibility, smaller team. You, you know? know what? What's interesting is that there's such
1: a such a. Um, a machine over at at Stargate yeah. where you just depend on John Smith to be able to do things, you just depend on John like to do things. You just depend on the executive producers to do things that you don't have to do. And there's this whole idea of of the fact that you are shielded from the buffeting, yeah. you know, so that you are allowed to direct. So that you're allowed to act. And here Amanda and I, who have sort of gone through, you know, twelve years together of, of, of that shielded part of it. Are now exposed to the, the you know the hideous underbelly of this thing and going, What the hell is going on? Yeah. And you you know you look at, at uh, John Smith and, and John Lenick and Robert Cooper and Brad Wright and, and Paul and Joe, and you sit there and go, that's what they've had to deal with, mm-hmm. you know? And and truthfully, what's interesting to me is that the network has been really good to us. Yeah. I'm waiting for the day when they turn around and get, you know, really angry at us for something we've done and thinking, I don't have a, there's no, there's no buffer now. I have to take it in the face and stand up mm-hmm. in the wind. So um, that's how I've grown is that I know now a lot more about what I didn't know for the past 12 years about what how I was shielded. And, uh, and we'll do it to anybody I can, we'll shield them because nobody should have to deal with all that junk. And, Cause it just it does it it stifles you creatively. You, you, you don't have the energy you had creatively to do it. So what's going to happen is we're now building a team that will allow us to do that once again, once it sort of, you know, gets into production. What are you most excited about this project? Um, Two things. One is that it is a brand new thing that's happening. Yeah. You know, the the virtual aspect of of Sanctuary is probably the, the most exciting thing to me. You are completely unfettered. And we have a group called Anthem who did uh, the Visifex for um, for uh, Tin Man. Yeah. And uh, um, the head of Anthem, Lee Wilson, has been over here probably 10 times now. We're talking about the scripts. And I'll say, I'd like to do this, and I want to move like this. And he goes, okay. And then we can do this. And you, my scope is like this. There's the end wall, and this is this is how I'm going to move the camera. And he goes, he grabs his hand and goes like this. And, it <laughs> right and he goes, okay, now drop that down there. And now you got a ceiling that says hi. And you're going, oh yeah, you know, that's you, right, it's virtual. You you, I, I described a shot the other day where where uh, there was a uh, city map behind somebody, and I said, okay, we're going to start here. And Lee was sort of just out of my eye line. I said, we're going to start here, and uh, we're going to push into his face. He's going to start to look at the city map, and then he's going to... It, it's a sort of a, a Google Maps kind of thing, so it's just—it's that kind of satellite uh-huh. look. And I said, then he turns away and walks away, and then the camera goes forward, and then it drops in, and you see that it's heading towards City Hall in there, and then it drops down onto the sidewalk of City Hall. And now our character walks by and walks in. And that's in one what shot. you can do when Man. you're virtual, you know? And you can't do it in a world that, that's just sci-fi because you have just defy sort of a lot of rules mm-hmm. that you, you can't do in there. But mm-hmm. in a virtual set, you can do that. Mm-hmm. So that that for me is is uh, is what's interesting.
0: Was that wasn't there something
1: else too, or was right? The, the, the other thing is is um, uh, with what we're doing right now, uh, having as much input as I do is a really important thing to me. Because uh, Stargate, like I said, were, they were so good to me as you know, as a supervising producer and as a creative con- consultant and all those kind of things. I always had input. Um, now it's not uh, only uh, it's not it, it's expected right now. I have to give input now. And and uh, if I didn't give the input, then the show wouldn't be what it is. In Stargate, the input I had would sort of... I, I was hoping it would move it up just a little bit and, and things like this, or give me a chance to do something as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, here, the, the input is, is changing vital. the course of where yeah. you're going. And that's something that, that um, I had the opportunity to do at Stargate, but honestly, I didn't have the time. And and truthfully, it wasn't my position to do that kind of stuff. I wasn't you know navigating those kind of waters. But uh, here... It's it's uh, making wholesale changes in the direction the show is going, and that's that's an interesting thing to me right now. I'm looking forward to it.